Because God, he wants to partner with us in sharing the good news, in bringing those who are far off from him close to his family. God delights to work in his people and through his people, uh, even though we were sinners, even though we make mistakes, even though we fail Jesus at times. There are times where we should have shared Jesus, but we didn't share Jesus. There are times that we should have represented Jesus with our thoughts or our attitudes and our words, uh, but we, we didn't. And yet, in God's graciousness, he still wants to work in and through us. And that's what we're going to be encouraged about today as we get into Joshua chapter 9, his work through his people. So let's get into it, starting with verse 1. Chapter 9 has been reading about Joshua and Israel entering the land. Verse 1 reads, When the kings heard about Jericho and Ai, they're destroyed, those who were west of the Jordan in the hill country, in the Judean foothills, and all along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and Jebusites, they formed an alliance to fight against Joshua and Israel. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they acted deceptively. They gathered provisions and took worn-out sacks under donkeys and old wineskins cracked and mended. They wore old patched sandals on their feet and threadbare clothing on their bodies. Their entire provision of bread was dry and crumbly. They went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant land. Please make a treaty with us. All right, so God is uh, using Israel in this time of history as his instrument of divine judgment towards the people, right, the wicked nations that are in Canaan. And at the same time, God was graciously uh, providing the land, giving Israel the land that he promised Abraham and his descendants. And one of the groups that was living in the land that was deserving God's judgment was these people called the Gibeonites. Uh, and these people, they recognize, okay, that, that judgment is coming, that the God of Israel is bringing judgment, and they knew they couldn't beat Israel in a war. And so to save their own lives, uh, they, they acted deceitfully. What they did was they pretended like they actually lived far away, which was outside of God's judgment. And uh, uh, they, they, they did it by uh, presenting themselves as, as those who lived in a distant country. They put on bust-up clothes. Uh, their supplies were old and worn out, as if they were traveling for a long period of time. They let their bread get dried out, and then they came to Joshua saying, you know, make a treaty with us. Let's team up. Right? They're smart. They knew how to sell. Right? They, they would have been great businessmen and women. They knew how to sell a product. It's just kind of like those restaurants we go to where we're given a menu and you never ate there before, and uh, the dish has this, you know, it's a they show a picture of the dish. It looks really good. Maybe it's a juicy steak or a moist piece of grilled fish. right? And, and the description of that dish it sounds just so good. There's all these adjectives to describe the tasty dish. There's a lot of like local produce that they're using and ingredients that they're using. So you get excited. You order that dish from that new restaurant. And then when it comes out, I don't know if you ever had this to, uh, happen to you, but when you order a dish and you're excited to try out, it's like, when it comes out, it's like micro-sized. It's like the steak is the size of a Hot Wheels car. Right? That salmon filet is the size of a little toy. 
and like, oh my gosh, right? What you saw on the menu looked completely different than the actual product. That was the giving nights. That's what they did. Where they presented themselves as living far away so that they wouldn't be judged in order to survive. And Israel, they took the bait. They took the bait. In verse um, 14, it says, And the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but did not seek the Lord's decision. So the men of Israel were inspecting the Gibeonites, and they basically gave Joshua the thumbs up. They're like, yep, they're good, they're legit, they're not parked, wicked cities that, that are under the ban of God's judgment. Um, but the author of Joshua doesn't want us to miss this, right? He makes it very clear in verse 14 that Israel did not seek the Lord's decision. They failed to seek God's wisdom. Instead, they trusted in their own hearts, in their own eyes. They leaned on their own analysis of the situation instead of trusting the Lord with all their heart and leaning on, not on their own understanding. They needed to ask God, seek the Lord in this decision, which they didn't. Now, this doesn't mean for us in life that we're to seek God's decision when we go out and order at a restaurant. Right? It doesn't mean we, 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 we uh, seek God's decision whether we wear the pink jacket or the blue jacket. Right? God doesn't want us to live in this paralysis of decision making. What this is about this is about when we navigate through life, we're to look to God for wisdom and guidance. And that seeking of God is reflected through our prayer life, through going to the Lord and asking for his wisdom, through going to godly counsel and asking for wisdom. And the Israelites failed to go to the Lord. And then Joshua finds out that they were tricked, they're deceived. Let's jump down to verse 22. Joshua summoned the Gibeonites, and he said to them, why did you deceive us by telling us you live far away from us, when in fact you live among us? Therefore you are cursed and will be slaves, woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. The Gibeonites answered him, It was clearly communicated to your servants that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. We greatly feared for our lives because of you. And that is why we did this. Now we're in your hands. Do to us whatever you think is right. This is what Joshua did to them. He rescued them from the Israelites, and they did not kill them. On that day, he made them woodcutters and water carriers, as they are today, for the community and for the Lord's altar at the place he chose. So Gibeon deceives Israel, right, in order to save their own skin. And then Joshua says, right, that, that they're cursed. Now that's kind of interesting, right? This is... Uh, this is different from Rahab. If you remember a few chapters ago, we read about Rahab, right? She too was under God's judgment. Her people were under God's judgment in Jericho. And she also deceived someone, right? Remember Rahab deceived uh, the king of Jericho by hiding the spies? Rahab knew that judgment was coming. But the difference between Rahab and the, uh, the Gibeonites is we know that Rahab was responding out of faith in the God of Israel. She looked to God for mercy. But not only that, we learned about Rahab that she wanted to be and became a part of God's people. Where the Gibeonites, right, they were slaves. The Gibeonites were just trying to save their own skin. Rahab's heart posture was, was to worship the God of Israel. 
the Gibeonites were wanting to be about self-preservation. So I think there's a contrast there that we see with Rahab and uh, the Gibeonites. But for Israel, right, they failed to seek the Lord. But what we see here is that God was still faithful, even when God's people were unfaithful to him. That's the first thing we want to see here, is that God is faithful to us even in those moments where we are unfaithful to him. He doesn't abandon them after Achan's sin. He doesn't abandon Israel after they don't seek his decision. God could have said, all right, fight your own battle. You want to do it your way, I'm out. You do your own thing. No, God is committed to them because he is faithful. Paul reminds us in 2 Timothy 13 that when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. We are right a part of God's family. We're part of the body of Christ through faith in Jesus. So what that means is when we mess up, when we fail to seek God, like the Israelites failed to seek God, the good news is that God is faithful to us still yet, even in our sin, even in our mistakes. He's like that older brother that gets your back even though you know you messed up. He's there. He's committed to you. Now that doesn't mean we won't experience consequences for our sin and our actions. That doesn't mean we won't experience the discipline of God because he loves us, so he'll discipline us. But what that does mean is that God is even using our sin and, and our mistakes and creating good out of them because he loves us, because he's committed to our growth. And so because he is faithful, even when we're faithless, here's what we should do, right? We should run that much more to God in our sin, in our mistakes, in our failures, because he's not going to shoo us away. He's not going to get irritated with us. He's not going to say, oh, not again, you messed up. He wants us to come to him. Because our human tendency is when we mess up is to avoid the person that we let down, right? Because we feel so bad. A while ago, I was ordering at a restaurant, and um, I was looking at their menu. I was ordering, and I didn't understand the, the, the deal that they had at, at the restaurant. So um, as I was trying to order... The, the cashier is like, no, th- this is the deal. It's this. And I told him, oh, that is? Oh, shoot. It's like, can I, I got to change my order. And I've never saw a restaurant person get mad before. But, but he, in front of me, he was like, oh, oh. And I was like, oh, shoot, man. Should I even be here? I felt so bad. I felt like I couldn't even order anymore. Right? Because when we make a mistake, we, we have this tendency, and when we know the other person is like frustrated, angry at us, we either fight them or, or we the opposite, right? We're like, oh, okay, maybe I even shouldn't be here. Right? And our, I think our tendency toward with God is when we mess up, when we sin, we feel like we got to kind of wait to go to him. Like we got to kind of make it up. We got to wait till he stops being angry. But no, right, he wants us to go to him in our sin. He's like that loving parent, right, that when a child is struggling, right, they want nothing more than the child to come and to seek help. Because God is faithful, even in our unfaithfulness, that should that much more push us to go to him for help because he wants to be near to us. He wants to help us. And that's what we see in, in chapter 10. Look at verse 1. It says, Now King Adonizedek, not Melchizedek, different king, this one's a bad one, 
of Jerusalem heard that Jerusalem, uh, Joshua had captured Ai and completely destroyed it, treating Ai and its king as he had Jericho and its king, and that the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and was living among them. So Adonizedek and his people were greatly alarmed because Gideon was a great city, a large city, like one of the royal cities. It was larger than Ai, and all its men were warriors. And so Gibeon was, was no joke. And look at verse 5. So the five Amorite kings, the king of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Akish, and Eglon, joined forces, advanced with all their armies, and besieged Gibeon and fought against her. Gibeon was the group that, that made a treaty deceitfully with Israel. All right, so this king of Jerusalem, he, he knows what happened with Jericho, uh, Jericho and Ai, he, and he's not happy that, that Gibeon, right, part of their, their groups, made a treaty with Joshua. So he gathers up four other kings and attacks Gibeon. Joshua then, right, he, he ends up coming to Gibeon's aid because they made a treaty together. So he has to get their back. He comes to their aid and he defeats the armies that came against Gibeon. Let's look at verse uh, 11. Right, so the armies, they fled. They, they were defeated before Israel. But look at this. The Lord threw large hailstones on them from the sky along the descent of Beth Haran all the way to um, Aska, and they died. More of them died from the hail than the Israelites killed with the sword. On the day the Lord gave the Amorites over to the Israelites, Joshua spoke to the Lord in the presence of Israel. Sun stand still over Gibeon and moon over the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon uh, stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Right here's this amazing, amazing thing that happens as the armies are the, the enemy armies of God are fleeing because Israel beat them. Right, God is hurling large stones from the sky, and more soldiers are killed from that than the Israelite army. And then not only that, Joshua prays that the sun, the moon, stand still so that the day lasts longer. Right? It's just, this is a miracle. And God answers that prayer so that Israel could continue defeating these enemy nations. Right Here, God is fighting for his people. And Joshua makes it clear in his book that the victory could have only happened from God. Look at verse 24. Jump down to that. When they had brought these kings to Joshua, these are kings, wicked kings that did not want to submit to God. He summoned all the men of Israel and said to the army commanders who had come with him, come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. Joshua said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Be strong and courageous. Remember Joshua 1 is being repeated here but in a different circumstance. This is what the Lord will do to all the enemies you are going to fight. This is meant to encourage Israel right, that God will defeat his enemies. And the author makes it clear that the war was not won because of Israel, but the war was won because God was on their side. That's the second truth that we have to remember as God's people, is the Lord fights for his people. We need to see that in our own lives, that Jesus defeated Satan, sin, and death on the cross on our behalf. 
Jesus defeated Satan, the enemy of our souls, and gave us victory over Satan as well. Romans 16.20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And we'll see that ultimate victory when Jesus returns and defeats all wickedness. What that means for us, because God fights for his people, is that God is for us. He is not against us. He's that parent that wants the best for his child. And because of this, because God fights for us, that should give us even greater confidence to put sin, sin to death in our lives, to put our necks on the sin that's in our lives, put our feet on the, on, on the neck of sin in our lives. That should give us confidence to pursue all the different opportunities and, and, and callings that God has given to us in our lives because he is for us and not against us. That should motivate us to serve our family and our friends and the people in our lives because God is for us. That means that we should get involved, just like Joshua and Israel were participants in the work of God. And one of the ways we get involved is through prayer. Through prayer, just like Joshua did. Ephesians 6 tells us that our battle in this world isn't against the Amorites, isn't against the Hibites. Our battle is, against, is, is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's against the spiritual forces. Right? The spiritual forces who hate to see God's people flourish, who hate to see people come to trust in Jesus. And God has given us the weapon of prayer at our disposal. Right? Prayer is powerful because God is powerful. I mean, just think about this account. God listened to the prayers of one man, Joshua, and he stopped the sun and the moon in its place. And the thing is, right, is, is we should be, right, more than being impressed that the sun and the moon stopped in place, which is a miracle, more than that, we should be impressed that the God of the universe right, listened to and responds to right, sinners, sinners like us. Right, we are one of over 8 billion people on this planet. Right, we're just a, a little dot on a little rock in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. We're a little speck in our solar system. And yet, the God who created all of what we see stoops down and hears our prayers. And he is for us. So here's what that means for us, right? Is pray. Right? This should push us even more to pray that God would listen to us. Pray for the salvation of people in our lives. Pray for uh, our other people, brothers and sisters in our lives who are hurting, who are struggling, who are in pain, who need God's strength. Pray for the Lord to strengthen us in whatever hard circumstances we're at at work or in our relationships, the things that just feel intimidating. Pray to the God who stops the sun and the moon in its place and who is for us and not against us. Right? Don't miss out on this privilege, this unimaginable privilege to be able to pray to this God. And that's only made available through Jesus' death on the cross. So don't fight the battles in life against sin without prayer. 
Because this work and the battles that, that we face in our lives, it's not short all the time. Oftentimes, it's long. And other times, it's lifelong. Just like the battles that Joshua was going through, it was long. See, as Joshua continues to defeat these wicked uh, groups that are in the land, more, more kings, wicked kings, crop up in its place and want to attack. It's kind of like, uh, you know, when you go Fun Factory, place like that, Chuck E. Cheese, and you play that whack-a-mole game, right, right, where the mole pops his head up and you whack it, and then what happens? More moles pop up, you've got you to whack even more. That's what's happening here. As Joshua is defeating these wicked kings, more wicked kings are, are popping its head up. That's what we see with evil. Just more comes when evil is confronted. In chapter 11, let's, let's jump all the way down to verse 5, because more kings are coming. Verse, I'm sorry, verse 1 in chapter 11. When King Jabin of Hazor heard this news, right, Joshua's defeating all these people, he sent a message to King Jobab of Medan, the kings of Shimron and, and that name, and the kings of the north in the hill country, and Arabah the south of Tinnereth, the Judean hillsides and the slopes of Dor to the west, the Canaanites in the east and the west, uh, the Amorites, the Hittites, Perizzites, the Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites at the foot of Hermon. Herman, in the land of Mizpah, they went out with all their armies, a multitude as numerous as the sands on the seashore, along with a vast number of horses and chariots. All these kings joined forces. They came and camped together at the waters of Meron to attack Israel. But again, right, as, as evil is being defeated, more evil is coming up, popping its head up. And the author of Joshua wants to really make it clear Right, there this army is huge, right? They number the sands on the seashore. In other words, there's no way Israel can defeat this army on its own strength. They are outnumbered. And yet the Lord gives them victory over this large army. But it didn't happen overnight. Let's jump down to verse 18. Joshua waged war with all these kings for a long time. No city made peace with the Israelites. They were, they were bent on rebelling against God. Except the Hivites, right, who inhabited Gibeon. All of them were taken in battle. For it was the Lord's intention to harden their hearts so that they would engage Israel in battle, be completely destroyed without mercy, and be annihilated just as the Lord had commanded Moses. At that time, Joshua proceeded to exterminate the Anakim from the hill country, Hebron, Debir, Anab, all the hill country of Judah and of Israel. Joshua completely destroyed them with their cities. No Anakim were left in the land of the Israelites, except for some remaining in Gaza, Gath, and Ashad. If you kind of know your Bible, right, you know, oh, Goliath is from Gath. Right, so he was part of the Anakim, probably. But Israel here, right, completely destroyed these cities without mercy, even except the Hivites, right, who inhabited Gibeon, that made a treaty with Joshua. And the author says that it was God's intention to harden their hearts so they would engage Israel in battle. Now, maybe you're familiar with, with Pharaoh. That was another case where God hardened the heart of Pharaoh so that he would not set Israel free, so that God would judge Pharaoh and God would display his power to the people in the miracles done through Moses. 
Now, what this doesn't mean, it doesn't mean uh, that Pharaoh and the inhabitants of the land would have changed if God didn't harden their hearts. They were already set on rebellion against God. They're already set in their wicked ways. God just let them go down that path. He let them go in that direction that they had already chosen to go. And God has every right to do so. Again, I want to remind us, right, this isn't an innocent group of people that were just minding their own business and, and gets their land stolen from them. That's not the case. Right? This is a wicked and rebellious people that had hundreds of years since the time of Abraham to repent and turn from their wicked ways. But they didn't. And I think when we read and we continue to read passages like this in Joshua, we, we might struggle with right, why, why God would judge a people like this. And I think it, it's important to remember right, that God is holy. And what that means is, is he must punish wickedness. He cannot let wickedness slide. But not only is God holy, but he's sovereign. He has every right to do what he desires to accomplish in his purposes. Author Dale Ralph Davis, he helps us with this. He writes this. He says, do we not find that disturbing, offensive, outrageous? Who gave God the right to be that sovereign? Well, our verdict had better remain stuck in our throat. Don't try to evade the clarity of this text. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Don't think you can escape this God by running into the New Testament. You will meet the same God there. You will do better to tremble and worship. Right When we read passages of God's judgment like this one, we might think that this is a different God from the God of the New Testament. Right? We might read passages of Jesus feeding the 5,000, Jesus healing the sick, Jesus caring right, for the, the outcast and the poor. But maybe we, we tend to avoid, we tend to neglect passages of judgment, like Jesus returning on a white horse and judging the world for their sin. This is who God is. Right? He is both perfect in mercy and love. And he is perfect in justice and holiness. We, we cannot make God in our own image. We cannot take things out of God's character because we don't like it or it makes us uncomfortable. If we do that, then we're, what we're doing is we're creating God in our own image, in our own preferences, instead of worshiping God for who he is. And this God is the one who is faithful to the unfaithful. He's the God who fights for his people. But he's also the God, here's the third thing, right? he continues to work through his people. Lifelong. It's a long process. See, for Joshua, right, the wars that he was facing, it wasn't short. We're told in verse 18 that it was a long, long process of battle. For us, our battle against sin, Satan, and death, it is lifelong. We're going to continually having battles and struggles to the very end when Jesus returns, or when we stand before Jesus. This mission that God gave us to be a light to the people around us, it's lifelong. And so what that means is that's going to require endurance. That's going to require perseverance for us. 
that God provides. Because at times in this life, things are going to feel really slow. Like how I bet for Joshua, it must have felt long, these battles. It's going to feel dragged out. There are times when I think things are not going fast enough. I'm not looking like Jesus fast enough. I'm not seeing God work fast enough. But I want to encourage us, don't, don't overlook the things God is doing right now because the process is so long, because we're, we're trying to look far into the future. Right, right now, he is building us up. He is shaping us to be more like Jesus every day. And he does that through the everyday battles of life through the everyday mundane things of life, the simple things that God has called us to be faithful to, like showing up to work again and again, changing that dirty diaper again and again, making that dinner again and again, listening and loving that family member or friend again and again, sending that email again and again. Right? All these little things matter. Because God is using all things to grow us in a dependency upon him. He's using these things to grow us in a joy that comes from him and not from our circumstances. Because we're not getting that, that from our circumstances because they're so mundane at times, so long and so dragged out and maybe painful. He's growing our perseverance in putting sin to death in our lives as we struggle with complaining and grumbling because things are taking so long. God is using these things to grow us to be faithful to Him, to be faithful to the people God has placed in our lives. The war is lifelong. But the good news is God has already won the victory for us. We're fighting the battles from victory. We're doing the cleanup work in a sense. And because of this, right, we should Get off the sidelines and get into the opportunities that God has placed us in. Get involved in the work of God to, to bring people into his family who are far off. To put sin to death in our lives because he has already given us the victory through his spirit and by his death on the cross. And so church may encourage us this morning to step into whatever battles he has in our lives, to step into whatever opportunities he is placed before us, knowing that He is for us. He is not against us. He is committed to us. He is faithful, even when we're faithless. And He's going to be with us every step of the way to the very end. Let's go ahead and pray together. Father, we thank You that You are faithful to us. We thank You that You showed that through the giving of Your one and only Son for sinners like us, so that we could come to experience Adoption to your family. Lord, we pray that in the battles of life, remind us, Lord, that you want us to come to you for help, that you want us to trust and depend upon you. So, Lord, we pray humbly that we would look to you in all things and experience the joy and the, the, the security that comes knowing that our God fights for us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.